The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, thank you. It's good to uh, good to sit with you. Um, I tried to uh, ring the bell more loudly. My little electronic bell. Hope you heard that this morning. Um, okay, well, more to be said about uh, those kinds of instructions. So um, let's keep going. Um, I I am uh, often amazed that um, kind of short, low-dose mindfulness interventions, uh, eight-week interventions that have a lot of wisdom in them, but they that's a that's a low dose, yeah. They seem to develop uh, actually deliver positive uh, benefits results, and my sense is that if if um, mindfulness and these kinds of mindfulness-based interventions were merely attention therapy, I don't think we'd see benefits after eight weeks. It's too short, too small a dose. But this path of practice is many things. Yeah, it's not merely an attention therapy. Uh, even in an eight-week MBSR program, for example, mindfulness-based stress reduction, there's social support and a lot of new views that are introduced. Yeah. Religions are really a kind of attempt at a cognitive therapy, in part, yeah. And yesterday I spoke about uh, the Dharma as an attention therapy. And today the, the second mechanism, Dharma, as a cognitive therapy. And so cognitive therapy is, um, this approach suggests that maladaptive thoughts about self and world and future lead to emotional pain, psychiatric symptoms. And so uh, classically, this this is um, Beck um, says, um, schemas which are central to information processing reflect various beliefs, expectancies, evaluations, and attributions and serve to order everyday experience. When information processing becomes distorted, other systems, affective, motivational, behavioral, begin to function in a maladaptive manner. Schemas can be modified in response to potent new information. Adaptively modified schemas deactivate dysfunctional schemas which leads to a reduction in symptoms. 
So we're living our life in a situation, something happens, it elicits schemas, which elicits emotions and motivations and behaviors. And so the treatment is that maladaptive thoughts are explored and challenged and self and world and future are reappraised, reappraised. We, we reconstrue self and world. And classic kind of distortions of overgeneralizing or catastrophizing or dichotomous black-white thinking, um, these distortions are corrected. And uh, those corrections are said to lead to more adaptive appraisals of the world, more adaptive functional schemas. It's the structure of cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, a blend, and um, Buddhist practice <clears throat> is a cognitive therapy too, in part. It begins with wise view, right? With understanding, right? Understanding, right view. And the Buddha says, with wrong view, wrong everything follows, Yeah. With wrong view, wrong effort, wrong action, wrong speech, all the stuff that gets us into trouble, this follows on the heels of wrong view. So we pick up wise view, right? And the Dharma introduces so many views, yeah? So many views, so many ways of perceiving experience that are adaptive, functional, a functional schema, This is how you divide up experience, not good and evil, but suffering and freedom from suffering. That's the distinction to attend to. It invites the view that clinging hurts always trying to uh, control experience hurts. The view that suffering can be redeemed. This is a path of purification. And suffering is not a brute fact in the way we imagine. It can be redeemed. It can be transmuted into wisdom and love. The view that everything you are is a facet of nature and that the story of me is forever at least a little wrong. And so the Buddha invites a view of the self that is um, fresh, the self as a kind of, to use some philosophical language um, from uh, Gilbert Ryle, the self as a category mistake. So this is Ryle. A foreigner visiting Oxford or Cambridge for the first time is shown a number of colleges, libraries, playing fields, museums, 
scientific departments and administrative offices. He then asks, but where is the university? It has then to be explained to him that the university is not another collateral institution, some ulterior counterpart to the colleges, laboratories, and offices which he has seen. The university is just the way in which all that he has already seen is organized. The, the Buddha introduces a view of the self like this. Now, part of what we're doing is, uh, in our practice, is beginning to detect the s- stories and schemas we live by some of which are quite obvious and some are very subtle, but all the things we believe without knowing we have fidelity to them. These kind of wild, absurd beliefs that if we actually said them out loud, they would seem utterly ridiculous, but there's a part of us that has fidelity to them. I should be... Perfect, yeah, should be loved by everyone. The next possession is going to make me finally happy. I shouldn't experience physical and emotional discomfort. I shouldn't get sick, maybe should never die. We're um, much more suggestible than we believe. If we feel so autonomous, these are my views, but they're conditioned by a million factors, right? So we are all of our time in a way. And so many cultural inheritances and stories about our bodies and about our affective life, stories about strength and weakness, about the nature of happiness and the good life. And um, and we just take these things on. We take these things on. We're more permeable than we recognize. And so um, we look, we look, we investigate. What are the stories we live by? And our stories about ourselves are so often charged with a kind of moralism. Yeah, a kind of infantile, toddlerish moralism. Our egos are a kind of tangle of moralism. And so we start to see, uh, I have a lot of maladaptive beliefs about happiness. We basically assume the opposite of the three characteristics, dukkha, anicca, anatta, uh, suffering, unreliability, impermanence, not self. Fantasy that some, some pleasure will end all seeking, 
fantasy that the more choice we have, the better we are. The researcher about choice, yeah? How could five choices possibly be worse than two? But yeah, sometimes. The proliferation of options can have a variety of negative effects on well-being. As options are added within a domain of choice, three problems materialize. First, there is the problem of gaining adequate information about the options to make a choice. Second, there's the problem that as options expand, people's standards for what's acceptable rises. And third, there's the problem that options expand, people may come to believe that any unacceptable result is their fault because with so many options, they should have been able to find a satisfactory one. In Dharma, a lot of our happiness comes in narrowing choice, narrowing the menu in all spheres. We have this sense that if we worry in just the right way, we'll be able to game out Anicca to manage uh, uncertainty. And anxiety is, is, um, is the intolerance of uncertainty. We have the sense that um, if I accomplish this or that, become this or that, I'll finally feel like a grown-up, yeah? Finally land in a kind of identity and feel at home. And... That moment never comes, as far as I can tell. And so we look, what are our organizing assumptions and how is the cognitive therapy of Dharma relevant? Yesterday I spoke about the attentional Dharma as a kind of attentional therapy And these two interact, the cognitive therapy and the attentional therapy, because as I was alluding to yesterday, when the mind is steady, stable, concentrated, it's very malleable, very elastic. And the cognitive changes, the new views we introduce has... um, more staying power. The learning induced has more staying power, makes deeper marks in our being. So I offer this for consideration. And uh, yeah, happy to be with you and I look forward to um, tomorrow. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you all. I wish you a good, good day.